Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Um, for those that don't know me, my name is Reinhardt or Rankies. Welcome to call me either which one. It's great to be sharing God's word with you guys this morning. It's great. Even though that we have different visitors, what it is, is just extended family joining us this morning. And um, we're in the middle of the series that we've titled Sent through the book of Acts. Um, we were very excited to start with the series, not knowing that this is really a marathon. It's not a sprint. The book of Acts is long and it's deep, but it's been good. And um, you guys are joining us almost at the back end of the series and it's really getting to some of the gold as well. And so we're excited what God will reveal to all of us this morning. It feels like we need to take a breath after all the kids went out and we started in a rush. Some people went to the wrong venue. I'm not going to point fingers, but some people went to the wrong venue. Um, but it's great that everyone made it at last. And so let's pray now again, just for our hearts as we receive the word of God. Father, what we need is a work of the Spirit. We cannot, by no stretch of the imagination, by all the wisdom and knowledge in the world, change our own hearts. What we need is your Spirit to massage the truth of the gospel through the knowledge of your word into our hearts and to change us. Father, we pray that even as we behold your glory this morning, that we would not stay the same, for that's impossible. Either we will harden our hearts or we will soften our hearts, and we pray for the latter. We pray that our hearts would be softened by the gospel, that as we behold the glory of the Son, that we would also become like the Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this ultimately for your glory, and in that, for our benefit. Amen. I want to, if we were to ask one another, if you would consider yourself a particular person, that you like your things in a particular way. Maybe it's uh, the things you like at home, in your room, the things you like to eat, or the things you like to dress. In Pretoria, uh, we, we weren't like this. I don't know when this started, but we're starting to become coffee snobs. And so people are pretty particular in the way that they enjoy your coffee. If it's instant coffee, obviously you first need to heat up the milk and then you need to boil the water and then the coffee needs to be dissolved and then you add the boiling water, otherwise you burn the coffee, all those types of things. But I'm sure you've got your own particular way in which you enjoy things. And yet, even though we would consider your own way or your particularities, your uniqueness, as the only way that we're supposed to do things, in the back of your mind, you also do recognize that it's not the way. It's not the only way. There are obviously other ways that people can do it as well, and that's right and good for them. And we're all in the spirit of actually just acceptance and um, making sure that we don't step on one another's toes. And we take this type of thinking into religion as well. That even though we would say that we are particular in our religion and everyone is particular in their specific religion, whether it's Islam or Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, we would say that there's this one specific way that you're supposed to get to God. In this current age that we're living in, very rarely would you find someone that to say that this is the only way to get to God. Rather, what's become almost the popular opinion is that we would say God is on the top of a mountain. 
And every religion is just taking their own unique road to God. To say anything else would actually be vain, vainglorious to think that you've got the ultimate answer. Who would say such a thing in a postmodern world? And yet, this is something that not only self-proclaimed religions proclaim, but especially in Christianity. And this is something that we would say that there is one particular way to get to God. But is this something that we should be particular about? Is this something that Christians should um, really fight about? And what would that way be? Well, these are all great questions. It's good for asking them. But um, this is exactly what today's passage is about. See, family, we're in this book of Acts, and we've been seeing a lot of gospel expansion. We saw in the first chapter that the promise was made that as people received the Holy Spirit, that they would be God's witnesses in that local city of Jerusalem, and then in the neighboring area of Judea, then next door with the Samaritans in the area of Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And we kind of saw this expansion happening. There was resistance and there was troubles, but ultimately nothing could stop the gospel from advancing. And in the last part of the book, the part that we're in right now, we're seeing exactly the last part of the promise, that the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. And what's even more phenomenal about the part that we're getting in right now is that it's not just going out through the apostles, those initial 12 sent ones by God, those ones uniquely anointed and appointed by the Spirit to kickstart the church. No, what we're seeing is that everyone everywhere, as they are tasting and receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only are they sharing it with one another, but people are becoming teachers. And this is what Paul is doing. Everywhere where he's going, as converts get together, as disciples get together, he appoints elders, and those elders are to teach people. Those elders are to look after people. These local gatherings of people, they started the, they're called the gatherings of Christians, which is the church. And so churches were growing, and people were teaching one another. And what is becoming more apparent as the book and as the expansion progresses is that what we're teaching the people actually matters. It's not just that we want to get the brand of Christianity out there, the name of Jesus known, but especially in today's passage, we'll see that what we teach about Jesus matters. The way that we approach Jesus and the gospel and Christianity actually matters. It's not just the social club that we want people to join. There's actually something unique about Christianity that we want people to know. The question is, what is it? What do you think is that one unique particular thing about Christianity that we should be particular about? That we actually shouldn't give up? That we actually shouldn't give in to the age of relativism which says that actually it doesn't really matter in which way you actually get to God. What is that one unique thing that us as Christians want to die on that hill about? Well, that brings us to today's text. We'll see that uh, one of the unique things that Luke does in this passage, Luke is the author, he first wrote the gospel according to Luke, and then he wrote the second volume, the book of Acts. And one of the ways that Luke gets his message across, the, 
bold underline and word they didn't have words so they used other fancy ways to do this as repeating phrases and repeating stories and actually using the narrative or the story of how the gospel spread to put focus on a specific element so we're going to start off with the answer right right in the beginning we see that there's this one phrase that Luke repeats throughout today's passage, and he repeats it three times. I think I initially put in the wrong verse, so if you do have the passage, you can bring it up. It's repeated in verse 25, 26, and chapters 19, verse 9. I don't know if you guys could pick it up. You'll see there I quoted verses 24. That's the wrong one, but I'll read it for you. This is the, the, the phrase that Luke keeps on repeating in verse 25, he says, Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Verses 26 said that Priscilla and Aquila explained to him the way of God more accurately. And then again in 19.9, we see that these people opposed the way. And so Luke is referring to the message of the gospel but he doesn't use the word gospel as he describes it normally elsewhere what he specifically does here and he's got a purpose in mind is that he calls the message of jesus or he calls the message of the gospel the way it's interesting why luke would do this he's trying to show us that in christianity there's actually a definite dividing line when it comes to jesus And we're going to see this in the different encounters or in the three different stories today. Three incidents of people actually encountering Jesus and how their understanding of Jesus influences their relationship to the way. So let's jump in. If you do have your Bibles with you, you can unlock them. We're going to read from verses 24. Or we're going to look at verses 24 to 28. That's the first instance. We're introduced to this cat named Apollos. Now, Apollos, this guy could teach. He was uh, a Jew that loved the Lord, and he came to the city of Ephesus where we just heard about these guys, Priscilla and Aquila, that were uh, uh, with Paul at that stage. If you weren't here last week, Priscilla and Aquila, they, Paul actually stayed with Priscilla and Aquila in their home for a long time as they were working together and serving the Lord together. And so Priscilla and Aquila had this unique audience to the Apostle Paul. They could see what Paul was teaching, how was Paul was teaching, what emphasis Paul was teaching on the gospel. And so as Paul left, Priscilla and Aquila almost became like the local teachers, but they weren't public figures at that stage. And in comes Apollos, which is just this fire preacher guy. We see that he was fervent in the spirit. I don't know if you guys knew this about Paul, the apostle, but he wasn't a great preacher. He was a good writer. But actually, in in a couple of chapters' times, we're going to see that he actually preached someone to death. He was that boring (laughs) that someone fell to their death. That's not something you want on your CV as a pastor. So... (laughs) Paul wasn't the best preacher, but in comes this guy, Apollos, and we see that he really loved the Lord, and he was studying the teachings of Jesus, and he was passionate about what he was doing, and he was coming in, and he was preaching regarding the way of Jesus. However, he was lacking in one part. He he only knew about the baptism of John, John the Baptist, 
and not about the baptism of Jesus. And so as he was preaching his sermons, presumably uh, Priscilla and Aquila went and they listened to them and they recognized, yo, our brother's got a great message, but he doesn't have the full picture yet. And it's great what these two did, this couple, man and woman. They took Apollos aside and they explained to him the way more accurately. And from there on, after Apollos was discipled, they endorsed his ministry and they sent him on to Achaia to go and preach the word of God. Maybe just a side note um, to view the actions of Priscilla and Aquila of how they corrected the brother. They didn't use Facebook and publicly try and shame this guy. It's amazing how they took him aside, this public figure. They didn't try and correct him in front of everyone. And they corrected or explained to the full his understanding of the gospel. And what's even better is that Apollos is this Jewish teacher and Priscilla is this Roman non-Jewish woman. And this God is just breaking down boundaries. He's using a non-Jewish woman to now teach this Jewish teacher. And so that's kind of what Christianity is about. It's just kind of this role reversal, this humility and God breaking down boundaries and what it means to actually be a Christian and to be in the way. That's the first incident. And so we just saw that Apollos just had a little bit of lacking in teaching. He didn't have a full understanding of the way. The next incident is a little bit more serious. This is in chapter 19 from verses 1 to 8. We see that after Apollos left Ephesus and he was on his road, Paul was backtracking in his second missionary journey and he then came to the city of Ephesus. And at this city, we see that he met a bunch of disciples and we could see from the text that this is John the Baptist's disciples. We'll learn about this cat in a moment. And Paul asked these guys and he obviously spent some time with them And we don't know what prompted the question. Maybe it was the manner that they lived. Maybe it was the lack of fruit of the Spirit in their lives. But after a while, Paul, spending time with them, said, Have you guys received the Holy Spirit? To which they replied, We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? And Paul, perplexed, asked them, well, into what were you baptized? Because in Matthew 28, we see that Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so if you became a Christian and you were baptized, into which name were you then baptized? But they would not even heard of this baptism. They only know of the baptism of John, which is a baptism for repentance after which Paul now had the opportunity to fully explain the gospel to them. And after he laid hands on them, we see a mini Pentecost happening. They received the Spirit. And as a sign of them receiving the Spirit, they were speaking in tongues with one another. And so an amazing thing happening there, but part of that is to reveal to us that not only did they not have the full picture of the gospel, but they actually missed it. These guys called themselves disciples, yet they weren't Christians yet. And we know this because they haven't received the Holy Spirit. At conversion, we receive the Holy Spirit. And so what's scary about this, these guys were doing good things. They were living good religious lives. 
They even had a baptism ritual, and yet they weren't saved. And so family, I don't know about you, but if, you were, if you're one of those persons that ever said, well, I'm not really sure when I came to Christ because I've always been a Christian. I, I, I grew up in the church or, or, or my parents. I grew up in a Christian household. That's great and it's grace of God. But you have to ask the question, at some stage in your life, was there a realization of who Jesus is or are you just part of the religious environment? Because these guys were. They were so close to the truth and yet they missed it. They were not part of the way. Fortunately, they responded well to Paul's message. And then lastly, we have this incident where Paul continued to preach in the synagogue in verses 8 to 10. And we see that there were some Jews that heard about Jesus, but they were so far off track that they opposed the way. Their knowledge was so lacking of who Jesus was and what the gospel is and where they should be that they actually missed it. And so three incidents, uh, we just had Apollos just, just needed a fuller picture. We had these guys that thought they were Christians, but they weren't. And then ultimately we have people opposing the message of the gospel. Luke is trying to show us something. He, he's trying to remind us that there's actually a road that we should walk on. And this should remind us of the verse in John 14 verse 5 or verse 6, where Jesus said, and he's very clear about this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Luke is teeing up his argument. He's telling us that there's one way to get to God. Clearly he's reminiscing about the language that he's using so that we are reminded this way can only be through Jesus and it is centered on Jesus and our salvation rests upon our knowledge of Jesus. But now we've got to ask the question, what is it that we need to know? What is it that we need to be particular about, about Jesus so that we don't just know about him, that we're just not part of the religious landscape, but that we actually saved, that we actually plugged into the family of God, that I'm walking on the way and not just a way. It sounds like an advert there somewhere, but. And almost as an illustration of where their misunderstanding was in this passage, we see that a lot of the misunderstandings about who Jesus was and what he is is centered around the baptism. We see that in two cases that people only knew of the baptism of John the Baptist and not the baptism of Jesus. So let's look at that. Who was John the, the Baptist? He was an interesting cat. Um, just to remind us who John the Baptist was, we read in Matthew 3, verses 1 to 3, Right at the beginning of the gospel, we read that in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so John the Baptist was the opening act sent before Jesus. He was the guy that was sent to say, something big is coming, you guys better prepare. There was actually a ritual back in the day, especially when a king 
conquered a new kingdom, you had this guy, this evangelist on a horse that would go to every town and pronounce this message, the king is coming. You guys better prepare, accept this new king, prepare yourselves, make sure that when he comes in the street, you dress nicely, have your Sunday best on, lest you, you, you bring shame upon yourself and you're not properly dressed before the king. And so this was the work of John the Baptist. And the way that he was doing this is he was telling people, don't be disrespectful, but rather prepare yourself. And the preparation to properly dress our hearts for the Savior was the fact that we needed a Savior. Lifeguarding 101. The first step in saving someone is that that person needs to realize that they need saving. <laughs> Amen? It doesn't help that you're in the water trying to save someone and they're fighting you. The first step to being saved is recognizing that I need a savior. And so the message of John the Baptist was one of repentance. One of saying, look at your heart and recognize that you are a sinner and you actually need forgiveness. And as a sign of what you need, <coughs> as a sign of the state of your heart, here is the baptism for repentance. Get baptized symbolizing that I need to be washed clean. That I actually need someone in to come into my life. But recognize again, what was the role of John the Baptist? He was just, he was just a sign pointing to the Savior. He wasn't the full stop. He wasn't the end of the deal. And a lot of people actually misconstrued or, uh, or misconstrued this that they thought John was the one that they should stop at. The problem is, what does it help <laughs> having the baptism for repentance, feeling sorry for your sins without any payment? Imagine a thief that stole millions of rands, hid it away or gave it away or spent it and he got caught and he's extremely sorrowful. He's just so sorry for what he did. He can't pay back the money, no pun intended, but at least he's feeling sorry. Well, we wouldn't have a lot of sympathy for him. The price still needs to be paid. Being sorrowful is great, but where's my money? And so if we're busy with so many religious activities and so many things that's part of the church, pointing to the Savior and pointing to the way, but we actually don't do business with God, what is the use of that? Brother, sister, know this morning that we're not in the business of getting people to live good lives. We're not in the business of people realizing just that they need to change or wanting people to live different lives. No, we're in the business of pointing them to the Savior. We're not it. Community, fellowship, all those buzz, buzzwords, great things. This isn't it. This should remind us and point us to what we really need. And we find it as we understand the baptism of Jesus just fuller. Right in the beginning, I want to just point out that Apollos was saved even though he didn't fully understand the baptism of Jesus. And so from the get-go, we see it's not the baptism. Once you're, once you're baptized, 
that you actually receive the Spirit or that you receive salvation. No, those things happen instantaneously as the Spirit changes your heart as you respond to Christ. But rather what baptism is, it's communicating outwardly what we believe that happened inwardly. And so let's look a little bit closer about what the baptism of Jesus really is. Listen to how Paul describes it in Romans 6. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like this. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Let's stop there. What happened on the cross with Christ was much more than Jesus just paying for our sins. What happened was this great exchange on the cross. Jesus literally bought us from our previous slave owner that was sin, reigning in our mortal bodies. We were all slaves to our desires, only being able to do that which we want to do, our own desires. And Christ came in, and as sin reigned, he bought us back. He paid the price, the ransom, and he rescued us now from the domain of darkness and brought us into the domain of light. And this is what baptism signifies. That's why as we are dunked in the water, you are brought down into the water. Not only is it a washing clean of the blood of Jesus, but what we're saying is that we now died with Christ. The death that he died was in our place. So that as we brought out of the water, we now have a new life, a new identity that is from Christ and not our own, not your accomplishments, not your past mistakes, not even your future mistakes. What we have through faith in Christ is his identity. And what is that? It's a righteous life. It is an obedient life. It is a life through whom the Father looks at you as he looks at Jesus and he says, this is my beloved son and daughter in whom I am well pleased. That is who we are through faith in Christ. That is what is signified by baptism. No longer under the control of sin in this world, but in obedience to the Father. And that is why baptisms are so powerful. Again, it's not that something mystical actually happens at baptism, but a baptism is where we remind ourselves and where we witness to the world and where we remind the church, this is what God has done. This is what he is doing. The old me is gone. They've died. And so the only way to God the Father, the one on the mountain, is through death. And only the death of Jesus will do. See, the difference between us and other religions is that in other religions, we try to get to, get to God on the mountain. And in Christianity, God came down from the mountain and died here at the bottom with us. So that we can get to the God the Father. 
Are you standing on your own accomplishments or do you come and say that I'm a sinner in need of grace? If you trust in Jesus and believe that the death that he died is the price that you needed to pay and that it is enough, then we receive this newness of life, then we receive the Spirit of God. And as we do this, we reorient my whole life according to this, and as a sign of my love and first obedience that I now have Christ, I first obey the first commandment that he gave me, which is, okay, now be baptized. <laughs> as a sign of what I did in your life. And so family, by way of application, we're almost there. The first thing is, and very important for us as Christians, or maybe as you come to Christ, the very obvious application point is be baptized. Remind yourself and the church as a gift what God has done. It is a testimony of God's work in you. It is showing us where the true gospel lies, what our belief is about who Jesus is and what he's done. Maybe you got saved a long time ago and you're still unsure about baptism and where it is. Man, I'd love to have a chat with you, but as soon as you get convicted and convinced of the mode of baptism, I encourage you, be obedient to God and be baptized. Not for your own will, but actually for the good of the church. We've got many pools that we can break the ice and we can baptize, but what a... What a magnificent day. That's, that's a thing that we want to celebrate here at Red Door. Man, events are great and things that we want to do is great. Outreach is great. But ultimately, <coughs> the thing that we really want to get excited about are baptisms. Not, again, the actual act of baptizing. But it's almost like this adoption process. that we, This welcoming process of a brother or sister into the family of God. Look at what the Lord has done. Look at his grace. It is preaching to our own hearts every week what the true gospel is. Second point, not only are we to be baptized, but similar to the main message that Luke wants to drive home today is that we need to realize again that there is only one way unto salvation, and that is through Jesus. Specifically, particularly, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection not just good teachings not just do unto others as you want to do unto yourself no those things are great and it comes but it starts with trusting in the work that jesus did on the cross and not only is there one way unto salvation but restoration lies also with god and to get to god we need jesus family meaning if we truly believe that there is this one life and that at the end of the tunnel yes we have salvation and yes we have heaven but we understand that salvation is a holistic process it also actually restores my life here and now it actually works against sin it actually speaks into my vocational ministry and vocational work it actually speaks into the way of my relationships and into my ministry we have to ask the question how is this gospel changing me today or is it just a Sunday thing, we sing, about, we sing about the gospel, and then we do the rest of the week as we see fit? But if we believe there is only one way to true restoration in this world, it's going to change the way that we view every problem in our lives, 
and every problem we view society's lives. Do you have a weight problem? Discipline isn't your problem. It's a gospel issue. It's us not running to God for fulfillment, but rather to food. We can't compartmentalize the two. If job satisfaction is your problem, then your job isn't the problem. Self-actualization isn't the answer. Rather, it is finding a new purpose through the gospel. If you have fear or a fear problem for the future of South Africa, immigration isn't the answer. Running to other solutions isn't the answer. The gospel should be the solution of seeing how God is in control. He is trustworthy and allow that to speak into your heart and into your fears. Again, man, there's wisdom out there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that um, we should never immigrate. I'm not saying that we should never practice discipline. I'm not saying that you should always stay with the same job. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the view, the, the way that we view the core of our problems should change. And that should impact in the way that that gets lived out. Do you view problems primarily as a gospel problem? Or do we want to use other wisdom and knowledge in that? What we cannot do is say that we believe that the gospel is the way on Sunday and then on Monday morning I go into a different way. Maybe a good litmus test for this is to see, well, how do you view other people's problems? You know, um, I see this a lot in ministry, but all of us have friends and family members and colleagues that are going through the most right now, that are either struggling in their marriages, they're struggling in their jobs, they're struggling in their studies, they're struggling with abuse, they're struggling with substance abuse. And, and, and a lot of the times, I go away from those meetings and I think, if I could just reach into their life and change this one little thing about them, their lives would be better. Unfortunately, when I catch myself thinking that way, I don't always think that they need more gospel and more Jesus. I think that they just need to change this behavior or change this pattern. Most of the time, my thought process isn't, you know what, they just need to hear and believe the gospel. And so what we need to see is, and ask the question, what is people's biggest problems that they have right now? Every time the answer should be, Man, they need to know and understand how much Jesus loves them, accepts them, and they need to know and understand what it means responding to them. We don't want to be those weird Christians that always just say, just love Jesus, and, and we don't engage with context. That's why we've got missional communities to help us actually engage then with our friends and family to see, man, how can we in a loving, empathetic, sympathetic way live this out, apply wisdom, but at least in our own minds, as you view someone, what is their biggest problem? And I'll tell you what, we're at the end, but can I, can I be a little bit controversial right now? Okay, I got permission. <laughs> I think it's Christianity, especially from the West, we, we're at that stage where we're more concerned against, about what we're against rather than what we're for. We're more concerned about, is this person 
denouncing their sexual orientation? Is this person doing this? Have they changed their behavior? And what we're communicating if we're only against those things, if we're only against abortion, if we're only against uh, this happening in schools, or if we're only against same-sex marriage, what we're communicating is that you just need to sort out your life and you'll be in the way. Again, God... Lives are precious to God and we should do these things and we should have the campaigns. But are we believing in our deepest of hearts that there is only one way and it's Jesus? Because if that's true, it will shine through in the way that we engage with people. Who can you invite to church that will feel uncomfortable right now? Think about that person. Think about why would they feel uncomfortable? Probably because we've missed the bus a little bit. And so family, even before we, we, we go out there and we want to proclaim to the world that the way is Jesus, it starts with us once again, personally, every day, proclaiming to yourself that the only road to God is through Christ's grace. And the fortunate thing is, even though we've messed up, even though we're still going to mess up, God and his graciousness will continue to use us. He'll continue to use us as agents of grace. And for that, we love him and we praise him. Let's pray. Father God, we we recognize that oftentimes, even as people of the way, we get sidetracked, but we project what we think the answer needs to be. We project onto you, the Father, the way that we would treat people. We think this is the way that you're treating us. You only get what you deserve. And so we become these performance-based people trying to do and say the right things. And Father, hear me. You know. You know we need to be sanctified. We do need to have lives that are changed. But ultimately, it can only be changed by a fuller and deeper understanding of the gospel. How wonderfully deep and magnificent this picture of the gospel is in the baptism. We thank you for this, Father. We pray for more baptisms at Red Door Church, not so that we can have more people on our WhatsApp group, but so that we can see that the Spirit is bringing new life. Father, may that be the thing which we get so excited about More than the feeding of the 5,000, we want to see the one that's actually supplying the bread. May that be the thing that we extol and sing songs and write songs about as we see people's hearts are being changed. And Father, we know that it starts with seeing the way that grace changes our hearts. And so I pray for everyone in here. I pray for those who might not know you. They know about you, but they don't know you. I pray that they would see that the way to you is not locked and barred by entrance exams and fees that needs to be paid, but rather Jesus has paid the price. For those that do know you, similarly, we want to see that the way to the Father's heart and acceptance of love is seeing and recognizing the grace that Jesus has for us. For they help us to become a community of the way, And through that, be welcoming to others, Father, and loving to the world around us. And this happens through you and your spirit. Amen.